Good morning. Welcome to Walking with Jesus Through the Word, one chapter per day. I'm Pastor Jason Van Bemmel from Forest Hill Presbyterian Church. It's day 276, and that brings us to Deuteronomy chapter 24. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. Please write it on our hearts today, we pray in Jesus' name and for his glory. Amen. When a man takes a wife and marries her, if then she finds no favor in his eyes because he has found some indecency in her, and he writes her a certificate of divorce and puts it in her hand and sends her out of his house, and she departs out of his house, and if she goes and becomes another man's wife, and the latter man hates her and writes a certificate of divorce and puts it in her hand and sends her out of his house, or if the latter man dies who took her to be his wife, then her former husband who sent her away may not take her again to be his wife after she has been defiled, for that is an abomination before the Lord, and you shall not bring sin upon the land that the Lord your God is giving you for an inheritance. When a man is newly married, he shall not go out with the army or be liable for any other public duty. He shall be free at home one year to be happy with his wife whom he has taken. No one shall take a mill or an upper millstone in pledge, for that would be taking a life in pledge. If a man is found stealing one of his brothers of the people of Israel, and if he treats him as a slave or sells him, then that thief shall die. So you shall purge the evil from your midst. Take care in a case of leprous disease. Be very careful to do according to all uh, that the Levitical priests direct you to do. As I commanded them, so you shall be careful to do. Remember what the Lord your God did to Miriam on the way as you came out of Egypt. When you make your neighbor a loan of any sort, you shall not go into his house to collect his pledge. You shall stand outside, and the man to whom you make the loan shall bring the pledge out to you. And if he is a poor man, you shall not sleep in his pledge. You shall restore to him the pledge as the sun sets, that he may sleep in his cloak and bless you. And it shall be righteousness for you before the Lord your God. You shall not oppress a hired worker who is poor and needy, whether he is one of your brothers or one of the sojourners who are in your land within your towns. You shall give him wages on the same day before the sun sets, for he is poor and counts on it lest he cry against you to the Lord, and you be guilty of sin. Fathers shall not be put to death because of their children, nor shall children be put to death because of their fathers. Each one shall be put to death for his own sin. You shall not pervert the justice due to the sojourner or the fatherless, or take a widow's garment in pledge. But you shall remember that you were a slave in Egypt, and the Lord your God redeemed you from there. Therefore, I command you to do this. When you reap your harvest in your field and forget a sheaf in the field, you shall not go back to get it. It shall be for the sojourner, the fatherless, and the widow, that the Lord your God may bless you in all the work of your hands. When you beat your olive trees, you shall not go over them again. It shall be for the sojourner, the fatherless, and the widow. When you gather the grapes of your vineyard, you shall not strip it afterward. It shall be for the sojourner, the fatherless, and the widow. You shall remember 
that you were a slave in the land of Egypt. Therefore, I command you to do this. That is Deuteronomy chapter 24. Well, we're continuing as we were yesterday in chapter 23 with these various laws that are given in this second giving of the law for the people of Israel. And again, we see how practical God is. He's, he's thinking of these details and the details matter to God. You know, some people think, man, details aren't really important, but God finds details to be important. They matter to him. But we also see here God's heart that his people would treat one another rightly. You see, in our world, it's very common for people to just get what they can get while the getting is good. Look out for number one. Don't let anyone else take advantage of you, right? It's better to be stingy and shrewd than to ever be taken advantage of or ever let one let someone get one over on you. But that's not at all the spirit of what we hear in uh, Deuteronomy or throughout God's word. The spirit of, of God within his people is much more to be kind and generous and patient. And if someone is going to take advantage of you, well, then you let them take advantage of you because you trust the Lord. And ultimately, if you lose a little bit more money or you're inconvenienced in some way or someone gets the better of you in some way, it's, it's not that big of a deal, right? Uh, now, of course, you don't want to be recklessly irresponsible, but to be to err on the side of of being over, a little overly generous, of being uh, exceedingly kind, of giving someone more than what they deserve, really it imitates God. Because isn't that how God treats us? Isn't God incredibly patient with us? Isn't God incredibly generous to us? Doesn't God treat us far better than what our sins deserve? What if God was a calculating miser and he said, I'm not going to give you something unless you've really earned it. And I don't want you to take advantage of me. And I don't, you know, God doesn't treat us that way. And he calls us very clearly and repeatedly throughout his word that we are not to treat other people that way either. And so the, the relationships where we're not to take advantage of each other begin in chapter 24 with the relationship between a husband and wife. A husband can easily take advantage of his wife by simply saying, Oh, there's something in her that displeases me. There's something where uh, she's lost favor in my eyes and I'm going to dismiss her. And then you sort of have buyer's remorse, or in this case, you know, divorcer's remorse. And you, you see her with another man and you realize, ah, she's kind of making him happy. And I kind of miss the advantages that I had with her when she was mine. And then you see her divorced by him and you think, oh, I want to get her back. That's, you can't do that because that is really treating that woman as an object and, you know, something to be used for your own pleasure and at your own convenience. And God says that is not right. It's an abomination and it brings sin upon the land and you shall not do it. This, this language is strong, by the way. The idea that this is an abomination and you shall not bring sin upon the land. It's the same thing that God associates with murder and with gross immorality. So this is like a little thing that we might consider to be minor, but God doesn't consider it minor at all. Um, God, in a practical sense, he wants husbands and wives to love each other and marriage is to be strong. So he says for the first year after a man gets married, he's not to go out with the army. Let him be at home with his wife. Let them be happy together. Let them enjoy a full year uninterrupted by military service where his life might be put at risk. Um, don't take a mill or an upper millstone and pledge. Right Later, uh, God says, 
don't take a, as pledge something that your neighbor needs to live on, right? If, if they need it to live, then you, you, you can take it as a token of the fact that they're giving you pledge, but you better give it back to them because they need it to live. So God is more concerned with life, right, than he is with profit. Sometimes in our modern world, it seems like people are more concerned with profit than they are with human life or with convenience than they are with human life. God doesn't see it that way. God sees very much that human life is much more valuable. Even human dignity. In verses 10 and following, we see that if you're going to make a loan to your neighbor and you're going to require a pledge for that, you stand outside and you let him bring it to you, right? You don't go into his house and go looking around because you say, oh, you're going to give me that in pledge. Well, that's a little bit better of a pledge item. No, you respect his dignity and you let him come to you, right? You're going to respect his dignity because he's in need doesn't mean that you can treat him any way you want to uh, and rob him of his, of his dignity. Um, there's laws here against oppressing uh, the poor and the needy. You've got to give them their wages when it's due, right? Um, that's a very good practice when you, you hire someone to do work, pay them right away. Don't wait a long time. Don't make them wait, especially if they're um, a laborer and they need, they need the money, right? Um, fathers don't get put to death because of their children or children because of their fathers. Earlier, God had said that he does visit the iniquity of the fathers on the children, but it's not talking about the sin itself or the consequence of the sin itself. What God is talking about there is that there tends to be patterns within families that if a father is guilty of a particular kind of sin, his son is very likely to pick up that, that sin from his father and be guilty of it as well. But God has never said, that you punish the children for the sins of their fathers. That's just not what is done under justice. Don't pervert the justice that's due to the sojourner or the fatherless or the widow, because that's, those are the people who are easy to exploit. So rather than perverting justice, what you're supposed to do is help them out by leaving extra uh, sheaves in the field, olives on the olive tree, grapes in the vineyard. You're supposed to like take most of it, but you're supposed to leave extra there so that they can come and they can gather for themselves. Now, there's two principles here. There's a principle of generosity, but there's also a principle that the person who's in need is going to have to work for this because working is part of our image bearing. It's part of what makes us human. It's part of our dignity. So it's actually not only being compassionate and generous, but it's also preserving the dignity of the person to whom you are being compassionate and generous by requiring that they work for what they get. And that way they can have a sense of accomplishment in the sense that they invested in this. It's theirs. They have a sense of ownership, which lifts them up from poverty much more than just a handout after a handout after a handout. And where do we see Jesus in all of this? Well, Jesus is the fulfillment of the law. And when Jesus came to redeem us, he gave us so much more than we deserve. He was far more generous to us than what we had earned or what we deserved. He was kind. He is kind. He is compassionate. And yet he does so in a way that calls us to work, calls us to service in his kingdom, calls us to have an active part in, in our sanctification, for example. We respond to God's grace with grace-empowered obedience. And God, by doing that, is, is actually establishing our dignity as the image bearers of God being restored 
to the right image of God, not just giving us salvation and then leaving us completely out of it so that we're just completely uninvolved. He, he brings us into a right relationship with him, puts us to work in his kingdom and calls us to participate in our sanctification because he's a good God and he loves us and he shows us the way to love one another. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Please write it on our hearts. Help us to love even as we have been loved. Thank you for loving us so much better than we could ever hope to deserve. We praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, thanks for joining me for Deuteronomy 24. And again, I hope you have a very blessed day in the Lord.